Can we thank Tyler for leading us in worship this morning? Man, I, I feel like we could have just uh, camped out in that song just, just a little bit more just to give that back to, back to God and what he's done. I mean, aren't you blessed? You know, this morning I bring you good tidings of great joy that, that in the city of David there was a, a Savior that was born. His name was Jesus Christ. Are you excited? Okay. <laughs> I hear you. Yes, a Savior is born. And, and we get to do this each week, but you get to celebrate that every day. And, and, and it's awesome that we have a Savior that came into this world, He lived, and He died. And so when I was thinking about this message this morning, I was looking at a gospel-oriented church. That's the title of the message today. And, and we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So while you're turning there, I want to just give you a, a few, about like a top ten line. Did, did you know that there's been kind of some arguments within the church from time to time? Anybody, anybody been in a church like that before? Okay. Can I just be candid with you this morning? I, I, can, I have a recollection as eight years old. Okay, I was eight years old. Anybody in here eight years old? Right around that, I see a few in here. Eight years old in a business meeting. He's got a gun. We all freaked out. And, man, they were ushering the kids back, back behind the thing. And here we go back to the trailer. And that was my first recollection of, of a business meeting as eight years old that a lady screamed that the guy next to her was packing, was carrying a gun into the business meeting. And he was there. So I don't like business meetings even to today. So I'm not eight anymore, but I don't like those. But, you know, churches have arguments. They have disputes from time to time. But listen, just a few of these. There's about ten of them. There's an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. There's a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. I wonder how that one worked out. There's a dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. There's a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was, budget was off by 10 cents. So someone finally gave a dime to settle this year. There was a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. Business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve it. Wow, that's amazing. An argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Now that was awesome. Gary, this one's for you. There's an argument over what type of green beans the church should serve. You got, already got that one solved, didn't you? An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. An argument over whether the fake dusty plants should be removed from the podium. And the list kind of goes on and on on those things. The silliness, the things we get kind of caught up in. And so there are some issues within the Philippian church. And so if you have your Bibles, just flip back just, just a couple of verses. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 27. And it says, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord contending together for the faith of the gospel not being frightened in any way by your opponents this is the sign of destruction then but of your salvation and this is from God for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now 
here that I have. He's saying in this particular verse, he's setting us up in chapter 2 in this Christian humility is to live your life worthy of the gospel. To live your life worthy of the gospel. When I thought about that, I started thinking through many, many things in we've been taught or we've heard about the gospel. In Bill Hull's book, Conversion and Discipleship, he lists out six different gospels that are being preached today. I'm not going to go in depth with those today. just going to list them. And we, we're going to talk about them at a later date. But he talks about the forgiveness-only gospel. He talks about the prosperity gospel. He talks about the consumer gospel. Or the gospel of the left. Or the gospel of the right. And then the kingdom gospel. Now, you see how we can get confused on the gospel if those six different things are being taught? Traven Wax in his, his Counterfeit Gospels book started out by sharing WMDs. How many remember WMDs back in the conversation way back in George W. Bush's reign, right? WMDs stands for Weapons of Mass Destruction. And he kind of set the, the very first part of that up in that if we're not very careful on the different Gospels that are being preached, they can become like a weapon of mass destruction for the church if we're not careful. There's only one gospel, by the way. Y'all know that, right? You're with me. Recently, Netflix was airing a documentary titled The American Gospel. And I don't know if, if you've seen that or not, but they walk you through an in-depth look at what the, the gospel is and what is not as far as the American gospel. Very good. I recommend for you to watch it. It's a really good one. See, Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. So what is the gospel? I think I have it in your outline there for you. Maybe have it on the screen as well. It's good news. Jesus stepped out of heaven's kingdom and entered into man's brokenness. He lived. He died for our sins. And on the third day, he defeated death. And he caused us to repent and to believe and to follow him. I did this, I believe, just shortly after I was with you a week or two at the very beginning of being here with you in, in the other facility. So I want you to repeat this after me. I'm going to give you seven things for us to do just so we can get the gospel kind of implanted in our brain. There's a kingdom. So say that for me. There's a kingdom. There's a king of the kingdom. His name is Jesus. All right. He died. He rose again. Repent. Believe. Follow him. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Okay. There's a kingdom. The king of the kingdom is Jesus. He died. He rose again. Repent, believe, and follow him. So Paul's setting this whole thing up. Just one thing is citizens of heaven. Live your life worthy of the gospel. Jesus, the kingdom, the king, he lived, he died, he rose again, repent, believe, follow him. And then we get to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's stand together and read this together this morning, if you're able. I think this is a very timely word for today. We had this in our meeting the other night and it just resonated with me and I said, okay, that's the message for Sunday. So it was prepped a little bit this week. But here, here we go, chapter 2, verse 1. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, 
do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Heavenly Father, this morning, if we're not careful, we can get absorbed into a self-centered, driven life. Open up this word to us today. Help us to see the humility that you shared. It took you to death, a death on the cross. Father, be with us as we open up this word this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I, I've, I've looked at this as a gospel-oriented church. And, and the first thing that I want us to see in verse 1 is that a gospel-oriented church remembers Christ who motivates us toward unity. A gospel-oriented church remembers Christ who motivates us toward unity. He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. This is the if section. We get to verse 2, so verse 1 is if then. Well, it's, it's there. So the progression is from an exhortation to an encouragement to comfort. Now, I know that we love to be comforted. And I believe in this particular time that we're living in, there needs to be some comfort that we sense and feel. See, Paul declares that the encouragement received from God is so abundant that one believer can pass it along to another who is going through a difficult time. The riches of God's compassion overflows. They are powerful in the believer's testimony to God's steadfastness in their troubles. See, the first thing in this if section, if any encouragement in Christ. Man, you and I both in Christ have an incredible, powerful testimony of what God has done. Not what you have done or not what I have done, but what God has done in and through His Son, Jesus. And your testimony is powerful. And, and, and God's compassion overflows. It comes off the believer's lips. It's an encouragement to us. It's an encouragement to you. It's an encouragement to one another because of what Christ has done. If there's any encouragement. But there's also any consolation in love. A united with Christ, being united with Him. My personal salvation is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the power of God that makes secure our hope in Christ that the comfort is what Paul speaks of here. How many in our, in our society today need hope? How many today in this room need hope? I mean, I don't know where you're at. There's so everybody's on such a different place in their walk with Christ if they have one. If you're in this room and you have a walk with Christ, we're all very different. But you're struggling through something. There's something you may be struggling with. It may be family dynamics. It may be, you know, relational there. It may be parents, aging parents. It may be death. It may be sickness. It may be a bunch of things. But if there's any consolation of love and in 1 Corinthians verse 1, 3 through 4, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Listen to this. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You're able 
in your comfort and through your afflictions, through your journey and your struggles and your trials and tribulations that you've been through and, and the comfort that God's given you, you're able to pass that on to somebody else who's going through the same thing. That's how you can minister to someone else. He's given it to you. Now give it to someone else. Don't think that you're the only one. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said with this about consolation. Listen to these words. It's so beautifully written. Consolation is the dropping of a gentle dew from heaven on desert hearts beneath. So beautiful. Consolation is the dropping of a gentle dew from heaven on desert hearts beneath. Any consolation of love. Then he goes on to say, any fellowship in the Spirit. See, the result of our sharing with one another is a spirit fellowship in which the Spirit dwells within us, enables us to overcome our differences and experience a common bond in Christ. See, this fellowship in unity with, with Christ and through the Spirit, we're able to have those, even in our differences. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you agree with everyone in the room on everything? How many of you agree with everything in your marriage with your spouse? Not on your life. We all have differences, right? We all have differences. Fellowship in the Spirit is the one who brings spiritual unity. The Spirit brings us together in oneness and removes the very basis for conflicts and power struggles among us. Fellowship in the Spirit. We get, that's where we get the Greek word koinia, fellowship. The Greek is koinia. The Spirit is the means of fellowship with other believers, even as each believer is also in fellowship with the Spirit. If we're not careful, we won't allow the Spirit and the fellowship with Christ and the Spirit and with each other to bring divisions among us. And I promise you right now in this time period, I just kind of sense that if we're not careful, divisions can happen within the church. And I've always been taught this one thing, and you have too. The ship can only sink from what? The inside. Fellowship with the Spirit. This morning we were looking at a particular verse that came up in Galatians chapter 5. In verse 14 and 15, it says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, Love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to this in 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. If we're not in fellowship with the Spirit, if we're not in fellowship with each other, we will just devour each other. And we've got to be careful about that. And, and there's so many things out there that we... We may have answers for, we may have preference for, we may have a, a statistical data on, and we may agree or not agree, whatever, but we can still agree to disagree in those differences, but still be united in one in Christ. He says in that verse also that if there's any affection and mercy. See, Christ's tenderness and His mercy for us compels us toward the same love for others. Christ's compassion sustains the chaos and the mysteries and, and the mercies of the church. His, his compassion sustains the chaos. Whatever you're going through, chaos, troubles, difficulties, His compassion sustains us. 
Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. One of those in the fruit of the Spirit may not be very big in your fruit of the Spirit or mine, but may it grow. A gospel-oriented church, number one, remembers Christ who motivates us toward unity. And secondly, a gospel-oriented church lives with one mind and one dynamic purpose. He says in verse 2, Make my joy complete. By thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And if we pull down to the attitude and the same thinking he's talking about here, we can look at verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. It begs a question for us. Do you or I have the same attitude as Christ Jesus? In this time, as we're looking to make decisions, it could be life decisions, it could be decisions for the family of moving or a, a relocation or a change in your life or big life change situation or getting back to school or what do we do with our kids or whatever. In all of that, as you're talking with people, do you have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus? See, we have to live with one mind and one dynamic purpose. It's the same thinking, but it's also the same love. God sent His only Son to die for us, and His love for us is agape love. It doesn't come with stipulations. It's agape love. It's a true love. We can't put stipulations, well, I'll love you as long as you love me, as long as you're right to me, I'll, I'll be okay with you. No, no, no. It's the same love as Christ. Listen, they spit on Him, they beat Him, they chained Him, they whipped Him, they put Him on a cross. But if we're united in that, we have the same thinking, we have the same love as Christ, we're also united in spirit, which means we're experiencing harmony with each other. I mean, is it good when you have peace and harmony in your home? Isn't it great when you can live in peace with your brothers and sisters in, in Christ and there's harmony and there's peace there? There's unity. I like what one writer said, when, when you're united in spirit, it's like having a soul brother. And I can think about David and Jonathan's relationship. And, and you know David and Jonathan, if you've been around church long enough and heard the stories of David and Jonathan, but it says their, their, their souls were knit together. It's like they were friends, they, they, they weren't true blood, they, but they had such a kinship, they had such a love for each other that, they were, that their hearts were, their souls were knitted together. And that's what Paul is sharing with us in this united in spirit. But there's also one purpose. See, moving together in the same direction is what we need to do in this following Jesus and being in the church. When our minds follow the gospel, the same set of goals, there's peace and harmony. Uh, a joyful apostle, he's talking about being joy, joyous in here, but we've got to be moving in the same direction. You can't be in the boat rowing this way and others rowing this way. You don't get anywhere. But we're, we're rowing together. may have differences. We may have different opinions. We may have a different thought processes. But we're united in the fact that, hey, listen, we're on mission together. We're going in the same direction together. There's unity. And, and that's what Paul's saying here. Make my joy complete. How? By thinking the same way. By having the same love. By being united in spirit and intent on one's purpose. That's how he was joyful, even being in prison and chained to the guard 
Because he can look back at the church and say, listen, my joy is complete. I'm excited for what you guys are doing by being one and being unified. See, Paul's overarching idea is that the Philippians act in accordance with the wisdom of God and demonstrate friendship at the level of treating each other equally and sharing resources. Said another way, the terms same and one reflect singleness of heart and mind, actualizing community through sharing of resources, honor, and life. You're together. You're in this life. It's life on life. You're together in the one purpose and the one mindset. If indeed encouragement, consolation, and fellowship can be found in Christ, then why can't Christians get along with each other? Anybody with me? If indeed encouragement, consolation, and fellowship can be found in Christ, then why can't Christians get along with each other? It's because we've forgotten the things that make Christian unity possible. And see, there's, there's a unifying ingredient. It's the gospel. The gospel unifies us. The gospel brings us together. See, a gospel-oriented church happens as each person relates and cares for one another. And that's what I was saying earlier is that, listen, I think in this whole time period right now, it, it's, listen, we can live into our best life right now. I'm not spending anything on Joel Osteen. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not, I'm not speaking on that one, the seven best ways to live your life. I'm not saying it at all. I'm saying the church can be right now at its peak. Even amidst that we can't, by, by just being the church. Not thinking we have to come to a building necessarily, but we can be out there dispersed amongst everybody else. We can call people, text them, send them cards, do the things that we really need to do as we relate and we care for one another. That's how. Because we're unified in the gospel. We take this scripture seriously. The gospel, it will be at the center of our thinking, will also be at the center of every ministry in the church. See, that's why we're here today. That's why we're worshiping today is because we have one common denominator, Jesus Christ. Him living, dying, living again, resurrected, calling us into this one purpose to reach people. That's why we're here today. That's why in our ministries of Awana or 252, in, in youth ministries, that's why we can do these things. We're centered around the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for us. In John 17, 20 and 21, it says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. That's how we're going to reach the people today, is being one with Christ, one with each other. See, a gospel-oriented church, one remembers Christ who motivates us toward unity. It, number two, it lives with one mind and one dynamic purpose. But finally, the thirdly, it possesses an others-centered life. It possesses an other-centered life. We see this in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. James 3, 16, we get a great verse out of that. It says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be chaos, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Doesn't say it might be, 
Or could be. No, it says there will be disorder and chaos. Selfish ambition and jealousy bring those out. It says, listen, do nothing. Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. You should look not only to your own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Wow, what if... What if instead of our own interest, what if we really started living in humility? And we're going to finish out that few verses in just a minute about Christ's humility. Galatians 5, 19 to 26. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing and anything similar i'm warning you about these things as i warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control the law is not against such things now those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another or envying one another such a strong passage the fruit of the spirit to live in that i love the story of the conductor i I believe this was robert shaw possibly if i remember correctly of a symphony orchestra was he was asked this question what is the most difficult instrument to play and if i have any band members in this room they can tell you what the hardest instrument to play is and and it would always be the one they were playing okay that was the hardest instrument the one that they're playing but they asked the conductor this question, what is the most difficult instrument to play? And he responded simply this, second violin. I can find plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play second violin with enthusiasm is a problem. And if we have no second violin, we have no harmony. A lot of folks playing in that first chair that first violin, but hard to find that second one. They could play with enthusiasm. See, it was hard in band to, to lead the kids that were like way on down the list. Somebody that may play, you know, like 18th chair of that instrument. You know, they may be third part, but way down there to get them motivated enough to know that their place counted. And I remember the story of a, of, of a um, in an orchestra where there was a, a basically the percussionist, the drummer. He was the bass drum extraordinaire guy playing the bass drum. And through about a 45-minute piece of this, this work, of this whole piece, he had one note. 45 minutes. And he sat back there for about 20-some-odd minutes to get to that finally one moment where he could play his bass drum note. And he got up and he warmed that, that drum head up a little bit. And then he twirled his little stick around. And he, boom! Then he sits back down for the rest of the feast. Just one note. But I had enthusiasm. The hardest instrument to play is second violin. See, we're so prone to want to get ahead of everybody and want to be one up, power up, do this. That's what we're kind of taught. See, the church will live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ when it has a unified focus on the gospel so that its people... Uh, are, are the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. This gospel-oriented unity 
shows up in caring for others, counting others more significant than themselves, and looking out for the interest of others. This whole looking out for the interests of others has really spoke to me over the last several weeks. I don't know where you stand on all of this COVID-19 or mask or no mask or whatever else, but let me share with you a story that came out of North Carolina. There's a large church that decided on, um, yeah, they, they sound the same way, boy, they're excited, Okay. On, on, Friday, on Friday afternoon, the staff and the, the, the leaders of the church sent out, a, um, sent out an email to the church body and said simply this, that, hey, we're reopening, we're regathering, it's time for us to get back in the game again, and we're looking so forward to being there. And in there it says, listen, we're getting together Sunday and masks are required. Well, as you can tell, it was a Baptist church and everybody was happy. On Friday afternoon, they decided to get ugly on Facebook with each other. And this side just got after this side, and this side got after that side. And the pastor very gently did his message that morning, and he sat down, invitation time, got back up at the very end of the service, and in so many words, he told the congregation, do you realize that your gospel witness is shot? Do you realize how you damaged your witness by the fact of how you chose to get ugly on Facebook? And so let me read for you one response on Facebook that maybe will strike home to you. And as a person that wasn't a member of that church, wasn't somebody that's just somebody on the outside, and just in so many words said simply, that's the reason why I don't go to church. This is a very difficult season, and if we're not very careful, within amongst the body, I feel the tension. I do. I feel it. I mean, I, it's, it's a weight on me every single day. I wish we didn't have a pandemic. I wish we didn't have COVID, but I've learned a lot of lessons through this time. I really have, and I think some people really been, you've been pressed to sit at home and be with your kids or to sit, just to, just to think, to reflect, and, and some great things have come out of it. But on the other side, it's, it's, it's we're starting to regather, it's, it's easy for us to lose sight of, I'm going to land on my interest and not look after the interest of others. And so with this being said, I, I've just decided, and, and we met with the leadership guys the other day, and just been praying through this whole ordeal. If, if we're going to model this well, then we're going to look after the interest of others. So what we're going to do is on the 26th at 9.30, we're going to offer another service right here. going to trim it down about 45 minutes. And it's going to be mask-required service. And we're going to take temperatures at the door and mask in the room. And we're going to do that at 9.30 to about 10.15. I've spoken with many in the church family who don't feel comfortable coming back in with really not everybody wearing a mask. And I get it. I, I honestly get it. I really do. If anybody in here raised your hand and said, I just, man, I love wearing the mask. I can't wait to wear a mask. I get up in the morning. I'm ready to wear the mask. I go to bed. I'll, I'll wear the mask all night. I'll sleep in my mask. 
That'd be crazy. <laughs> we, we, we may need some medication for that one. I don't know. We had extra, extra prayer right here. But I feel like there's a segment of our church family that has just been at home and maybe they're just cautious. Maybe they're concerned. And so by taking this passage to heart for me, I want to just offer that opportunity. If there's 15, 20, 30 people that decide to show up at 930 and want to worship Jesus together, they, part of our family, they're here, then come. I, we haven't lost anything. It's just them to come. And we can do exactly what we're doing here. And, and the 11 o'clock service is going to be the one that we live stream anyway. And so we can offer that opportunity just to get together and have that opportunity. Now, if it's not taken advantage of and nobody shows up, then, you know, we, we can just keep our 11 as we're doing and, and keep going. But I, I really feel convicted, I really do, that no matter what my, my preferences are or my interests are, my interest really is for them. And I, I want our other folks that, that maybe have compromised immune systems, if they feel more comfortable coming in with that, I really want to, I want to offer that opportunity. He goes on to say in, in, in chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The gospel is what unites us. Jesus unites us. Contrary to what many, many different folks on TV are saying that he's not perfect. Jesus wasn't perfect. He, he said he wasn't perfect. We're hearing that. Or hey, don't pray just that way. We're hearing all these crazy things coming out today. But be strong in your faith. Be strong. Let's be united. Let's look after the interest of others. I mean, we all have different convictions. And it's okay. It's all right. Here's one thing I've loved about this church. I've heard many, many things. I love how you love, for each, love each other. There's a care for one another like I haven't experienced in a lot of churches. Let me be honest with you. It's a great church. Let's not get and let Satan have a foothold anywhere in this so that, that can be, there be disunity over mask or over fear or anything like that. Let's just, man, let's pray. Let's just pray that, that, that God would just, man, really just put everything at bay if that be his desire, that be his, be his will for us. Or, God, what are you teaching us? But let us love one another. How, how are they going to know out there that we are his disciples? By the love that we have for one another. And sometimes we have to put our own personal preferences down and say, okay, I want to love you and love you well. And by doing that, I've just got to set my own preferences aside. Jesus did that. He humbled himself to the point of death, even on the cross. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for what you're doing. 
help us to be aware. Help us to just get our antennas up there. Let us be spirit-filled people. Let us be the people of the Lord that just, um, there's an awareness about us. There's a confidence about us. There's a unitedness about us that we have. And Father, that the outside world can look in this community and they, they know, Father, there's, there's folks in this community that know each other really strongly. They say, yeah, those, uh, that so-and-so goes to Satilla and hey, so-and-so goes to Satilla and so-and-so goes to Satilla. And may they know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. And I, I praise you for that. So God, you, you get all glory in this place today and I, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for these dear people and how they've loved us and embraced us and, and God just I can't wait. Just I really cannot wait to see what all you're going to do in this place. You get all the honor and glory in your name I pray. Amen. I've closed out many of the services just by talking to our online audience. And listen, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. You trusting Him, believing that He has come, He lived, he, he died, He rose again, and that you want to repent from your sin and that you want to follow Him. And, and that comes, man, with, with say, it doesn't come with, with rainbows and sunshine all the time. It comes with, man, trials and tribulations and sufferings. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ today by the message or you've accepted Jesus Christ this week and you want me to talk with you, I'd love to pray with you, talk with you further. And so just reach out to us online and, and just give us a message and, and, and a way to contact you. Now for us in, in the room, I, I think the invitation time for me has been a little bit weird. Anybody with me? Anybody kind of with me here? I'll maybe get something right here. I got a hand in the back. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make a little change for us today and, and going forward for season.